I have a question for you all to start our time. Is God a God who keeps his promises? Is the Lord God a God who keeps his word? This is really important to us. If we think of the people we love and respect the most, they are probably people who keep their word, right? When they say they'll be there at 12.30 for lunch, they are there at 12.30. Or if they say they'll, they'll study for the exam with you at nine, they're not there at nine, they're there early with snacks. <laughs> My twin three-and-a-half-year-olds are really bad at this. I mean, they often go back on their word. Picture this. This is a normal occurrence in our home. Twin A will say, Mommy, she doesn't want to play doctor with me anymore. Okay. Okay, other twin, did you promise that you would, you know, play doctor with them? And then there's usually a pause and a dramatic sigh. And the twin says, yes, but now I don't want to. <laughs> Who is God more like? Is God more like your best friend who always, always keeps their promises? Or is God more like a fickle preschooler who often goes back on their word? Is God a God who keeps his promises? On Friday, Megan did a great job walking us through Matthew's genealogy, rooting us in the history of the Israelite people and the promises God has made to his people. And then this morning, Shannon helped us see in Tamar's story a snapshot of the family of God in the pages of Genesis. <clears throat> now we're about to jump forward hundreds of years to Rahab in the book of Joshua. What do you need to know about the history of Israel to understand the story of Rahab? It's three simple things. Israel has been called under Abraham. <clears throat> Israel has been saved through Moses. And Israel is now led by Joshua. I'll say those again. God called Abraham. He called Abraham, become a people, and one day enter the land of the Canaanites, the promised land. And then second, God saved Israel through Moses, rescuing them from slavery. And he sent them through the desert to the promised land. And now what is Joshua leading Israel to do? It's enter their place of promise, the promised land. God is a God who keeps his promises from generation to generation. And what we'll see tonight is this, that God keeps his promises to his people through an unlikely person. God keeps his promises to his people through an unlikely person. And who is this unlikely person? Well, it's Rahab. The theme and title of this conference, it's been glimpses of grace seen through the women in Matthew's genealogy. And we see glimpses of grace in Rahab's story. So why don't you pray with me as we dive into Joshua 2. God, thank you so much for bringing us here together that we <clears throat> have the privilege of studying your word together and learning about your glimpses of grace through Rahab's story. God, I pray that your word, which is living and active, would pierce our hearts and we would learn more about you and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, you can open your packets, pages 12 and 13. There you'll find scripture and an outline. 
And the first glimpse of grace we'll see is point one on your outline. It's God makes provision through Rahab. So follow along with me as I read Joshua 2, verses 1 through 7, just the first seven verses. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Okay, for a Jewish audience, this would have been deja vu. You'll see in your packets, I included some verses from Numbers 13. This is from when God, through Moses, sent spies the first time into the promised land. Look with me at Numbers 13, verses 1 through 2. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. And then look at what they say after spying out the land. This is verse 28. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, And then if you jump down to verse 32, this is what they say. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out, it's a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Okay, those first spies, they're afraid. And so the spies give a bad report and God judges Israel. None of those men saw the promised land. And so Joshua chapter two, it begins with deja vu. Here we are, it's round two of spying. It's a new generation of Israelites. Will anything be different? Well, look back at verse one of Joshua two. Look, it says, and they went, the spies, and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. This is unexpected. A Canaanite prostitute has taken the spies in? And guys, it gets really bad really quickly. Did you catch that? Look back at verse two. It says, it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Uh, These spies are not very good at spying. I mean, they were found out right away. This is not good. But what does God do? God makes provision for the spies through Rahab. This is unexpected. What provision does God make for the spies through Rahab? It's protection. Protection. First, she protects the spies simply by hiding them. Look back at verse four. It says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And then verse six, she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax. So she hides them. Second, she protects the spies by lying for them. Did you catch that? Verse three, the king of Jericho says, hey, Rahab, bring out the men. 
uh, this king of Jericho, it's Rahab's king. This is Rahab's authority. But look what she does in verses four through five. She lies for them. Oh, they were here. I didn't know who they were. Now they've left. Quick, go after them. So she lies. And then third, she protects the spies by sending the pursuers on a wild goose chase. Right? In her lie, she specifically says, oh, they have passed through the gate. Pursue them quickly. And so what did these men working for the king of Jericho do? Look with me at verse 7. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So God has made provision for the spies through Rahab. God seems to be fulfilling his promise of giving the Israelites the promised land through the most unlikely of people, a prostitute from the land of Canaan. What do we think of this? I think in our current cultural moment, we prefer the likely people. We are living in a time of likely people only. We're constantly judging people like we judge a book by its cover. We are an Instagram-centered culture that focuses on appearance and polish. We have become a culture that truly struggles to find beauty in the unlikely, even in the church. This happened to me recently at my church. I sing in my church's choir, and we recently were performing a piece with a solo. And who should be selected for the solo? Well, I think it should be me. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm a technically trained choral singer. I can sight read almost anything at this point. And I've been doing it for almost 20 years now. Pick me. I am the most likely person to sing this solo. But who does my wise and loving choir director pick? She picks a woman with autism who holds two Muppet stuffed animals for comfort at all times. Can you imagine this with me? It's Sunday morning. The choir is standing up front. You know, everyone's nicely dressed and and presentable. Here's this woman holding two Muppets. You know what? It was beautiful. This woman, she, she opened her mouth and she sang. God used an unlikely person, someone the world and even the church would look at and label as an outsider, someone who isn't normal, someone who certainly should come to church but don't serve up front. And God used her greatly. This moment showed me that I am missing something profound in my knowledge of who God is and who God can use. This moment showed me that I was not fully understanding the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus was an unlikely person. Jesus was an unlikely person. The Jewish people in Jesus' time, they were expecting someone to rescue them from Roman oppression. They were expecting a warrior, someone fierce and captivating that would lead the people to freedom. And who was Jesus? Not that. 
Not that. The prophet Isaiah describes Jesus this way. Listen to these words. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was not physically attractive or physically impressive. It sounds like he was pretty average. And not only that, he was despised. He was not esteemed. He was someone people hid from. The savior of the world was an unlikely person. And as we'll learn from Tori tomorrow morning as she talks about Jesus' mom, Mary, even his earthly mother was an unlikely person. Friends, God delights to make provision through unlikely people. What about you? Do you view yourself as a likely person to be used by God? You're, you're wise and capable and on top of life and impressive. Well, realize that God often works through unlikely and weak and unimpressive people. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. But perhaps you do view yourself as unlikely, as messy. I mean, maybe so far in the story of Rahab, I mean, you're surprised that God would use someone like Rahab to accomplish anything. Fix your gaze on Christ, the chief unlikely person. Take your eyes off of yourself and fix your gaze on Christ. Maybe you just became a Christian and you realize you know so little about the Bible, but you want to share your faith with your roommate or your classmates, but you are an unlikely candidate for sharing the gospel. I mean, what do you know? You do not need impressive knowledge to share about our impressive God. You don't. Maybe you're not a Christian here today, and you're currently thinking of all the reasons why you could never put your faith in Jesus. It could be your past sins or your family background. It could be the knowledge that you have that seems to disprove the Bible. Or maybe you have a faith in another religion or God. Well, maybe you are the next unlikely person to believe in Jesus. So, so far we have seen that God makes provision through Rahab. And this is point two in your outline. The next glimpse of grace that we see is this, that God makes provision for Rahab. Follow along with me as I read verses 8 through 11. So starting in verse 8, before the men lay down, so the spies, she, Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So instead of Rahab immediately giving the spies a plan of escape, which is probably what we're expecting, right? Spies want to get out. What happens? Rahab speaks. She speaks. She speaks words of faith in the Lord to these Israelite spies. Well, how do we see her faith in the Lord? Well, she makes a confession of belief that's demonstrated by action. Rahab makes a confession of belief that's demonstrated by action. First, let's see a confession of belief. Look back with me at verse nine. She begins her confession with two key words. It's I know. I know. What does she know? Well, she knows that the Lord, he has given the land of the Canaanites of her people to the Israelites. I mean, she may not know that back in Genesis, God promised his people this land to Abraham. She doesn't know that, but but she knows that this land is not her people's, but is God's. And this impending invasion, well, it's causing a very strong reaction among her and her people. Did you catch that? They're very afraid, very afraid. Like, look how many times this is repeated. Verse nine finishes with this. The fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And then verse 11, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Okay, all the Canaanites, they're really afraid. They're feeling a lot of fear. What's causing this fear? Look back with me at verse 10. Rahab tells us, Rahab brings up the parting of the Red Sea, right? Which was when God, through Moses, miraculously parts the Red Sea and frees his people from 400 years of slavery. And then verse 10 ends with her saying that they know what the Israelites did to the two kings of the Amorites, who are beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og. This is a people the Israelites very recently conquered in battle. So this this is why Rahab and her people are afraid But then look at how verse 11 ends. This is so key. Rahab says, our hearts melted. Well, why? Look at the end of verse 11. It says, for or because the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Wow. Look on page 12. One commentator says this so well about these words of Rahab's. Listen to this quote. This is the conviction of faith. This was to be the conclusion Israel was to reach about her God. But here is a pagan Canaanite harlot with an Israelite confession on her lips. She holds to the utter supremacy of the Lord. She seems to assume that he is the only God functioning in heaven and upon earth. So Rahab, she has felt fear, and so have her people. Here's the difference. Rahab has looked around her. She has seen the wrath and the doom 
that is coming to her city, to her people, she has said, what do I need to do to get out? What about you? Do you realize that your world and your life is doomed? This is a world that promises so much. And it is so full of things that are so glittery and shiny. Things that seem like they'll make me feel better. They'll fulfill my wildest dreams. Then they always leave us wanting and leave us feeling empty. This is a world that promises answers and fulfillment, but never quite delivers. Quarterback Tom Brady knows this. Yes, we are going to talk about Tom Brady. If you go back to 2005, when he was just 27 years old, pretty young, he already had won the Super Bowl three times. Did you know that? As a 27-year-old, he had already reached his professional goals three times. He'd already achieved all that football had to offer. Naturally, he was interviewed about these amazing accomplishments. Do you want to know what he said to an interviewer at this time? Listen to this. He said, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Wow. Tom Brady, who had accomplished his greatest dreams in life, I mean, he felt so empty. He was willing to go on record about it. And yet, as of 2021, Tom Brady has been to the Super Bowl 10 times. I wonder if he has found what he's looking for. Rahab, she has lived a life as a sexually immoral woman worshiping Canaanite gods. And when she hears about this people, Israel, who worship a different God, it's like she all of a sudden wakes up and says, I need something different. This world that I am living in, this is not where I want to be. Where are you today, sister? Are you wanting this world to fulfill you? Have you finally realized that it never will? Repent and believe in the one true God, the only God that will ever fulfill and satisfy your deepest longings. Rahab has shown her faith through a confession of belief, but that's not all. Her true faith is a confession of belief that is demonstrated by action. It's demonstrated by action. Look with me at verses 12 through 13. In these verses, there is a major shift that is happening with what she says to the Israelite spies. Look at verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Okay, what's happening here? Well, Rahab, she's believed in God, yes. But now she is aligning herself with God's people. She's aligning herself with God's people. Did you notice the pronoun shift? 
up until verse 12, it's the fear of you has fallen upon us for we have heard our hearts melted. But now it's please swear to me, me. Rahab knows that the wrath of God, it's coming. She has heard about the miracle of the Red Sea through the destruction of the two kings of the Amorites. And so Rahab says, men of Israel, I will give up everything to be with you. I will give up my people and I will give up my gods and I will give up my city. Now please swear to me that I and my family can be saved. And how did the spies respond? It's amazing. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, that when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab, she she puts herself out there. She aligns herself with God's people. And God's people, they say yes, yes. What's going on here? The people of God It's for all peoples, all. I mean, why is God through his spies making provision for someone like Rahab to have faith? It's because the people of God, it's for all peoples. God's people has never been about race or a specific kind of ethnicity or kind of people. God's people has always included all peoples from every ethnicity and from every background. The family of God, it can include a woman like Rahab. She is a picture of someone in the Bible who is invited into the promises of God. But it gets even better. She and her family, they aren't saved but made into servants or rescued but then forced to live as exiles outside of Israel. If you were to read this later in Joshua chapter six, this would be after the invasion This is how it ends. Listen to this. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then remember how Megan shared the genealogy in Matthew on Friday night? Well, who was in that genealogy? Rahab. But why? Matthew 1.5, it says, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Well, that means she had to have married into God's family. And not only does she marry into God's family, but she becomes directly related to Jesus. God has made provision for someone like Rahab to be in the people of God. Do you believe this? God delights to make provision for someone like you. Your world, it's doomed. And wrath is coming. But if you align yourself with the one true God, you will become a child of God. You will be in the family of God. God has made provision for Rahab and God can make provision for you. So we have seen that God makes provision through Rahab and that God makes provision for Rahab. And finally, we'll end our time with our last glimpse of grace. That's point three on your outline. God offers salvation for those like Rahab. 
Follow along with me as I finish our section of Joshua 2, 15 through 21. So starting in verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go on your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath which you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Okay, these verses after verse 16 might feel a little odd to your modern ears, right? Like, wouldn't it make more sense after verse 16 to read something like, and the spies escaped, <laughs> right? And they followed Rahab's instructions. That would be logical. But instead we get verse 17. Verse 17, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Okay, what's going on in verses 17 to 21? A covenant is being made. A covenant. We've been singing about a covenant. Have you wondered what it is? Many scholars and theologians have different definitions, but this is how we're going to define it. A covenant is a promise made between two parties. A covenant is a promise made between two parties. This was a binding promise made all the time in ancient Near Eastern cultures. So the word covenant, it's an old word, but it was actually very common. So a covenant is a promise made between two parties. And there are typically five things that are seen in a covenant. First, an agreement is declared. Second, a relationship is formed or displayed by the covenant. Third, signs are given to seal the covenant. Fourth, words are either written down or spoken, but think more like a legal contract when I say words. And then fifth, it's always specific. So there are five things seen in a covenant. And in these verses, verses 17 to 21, Rahab and the spies, they enter into a covenant. And this is so cool. So we're going to see how it, how it plays out. First, the agreement. Where's the agreement? Well, it's the oath declared by the spies in verses 17 through 20. In those verses, the terms, they're given. But it actually began all the way back in verse 12 when Rahab said, hey, spies, please swear to me by the Lord. So that's our agreement. Next, where's the relationship? Where do we see evidence of a relationship? Well, we saw, we saw glimpses of it back in verses 12 to 14 where Rahab reminds the spies, I've been kind to you. And the spies in turn promise to deal kindly with her and her family. And then in verses 15 to 16, not only does she begin to help them escape, but she gives them details of how to really, truly do it safely. So that's the relationship. Next, the sign. 
she actually has already asked for one all the way back in verse 12. Did you notice how that verse ended? Give me a sure sign. So what's the sign? Well, look at verse 18. When we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window. And why is Rahab to do this? Very practical, so that it will help the spies and all of Israel know not to kill anyone in that room. That's a very important sign. That's the sign of their covenant. Next, the words. Well, they're spoken. But look at the legal contract they're making. After the spies lay out the terms, what does Rahab say? Maybe you caught it as I read it. Verse 21. According to your words, so be it. Binding covenant. Binding words. And finally, is it specific? Oh, yes, it's very specific, right? Who are the men making a covenant with? All of Canaan? No. Just Rahab and her immediate family. That's it. So Rahab and the spies, they make a covenant. And some of you might be like, cool. Why? (laughs) Like, why does this matter? Why is there a covenant? Why is this so important? Well, it's this. It's salvation. Salvation. Look at verse 21. After she sends the spies away, what happens? Look at the end of the verse. It says, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She actually does it. Remember, the whole point of all these verses about making a covenant, it began back in verse 13, where she says, please swear to me that you will save alive my whole family and deliver our lives from death. The salvation of her and her family, I mean, it's been on Rahab's mind the whole time. And by her faithfully hanging that scarlet cord from the window, she is saying, yes, yes, I believe that this means something that I and my family will be saved. These promises, they're real. These promises, they're certain. And as we saw in our previous point, right, she's saved, Joshua 6. She is saved from doom and destruction, she and her whole family. Friend, if you are not a Christian here tonight, do you know that God would like to make a covenant with you? Just like a husband and wife make a covenant in marriage, God has initiated a covenant with you through Jesus Christ. When Jesus initiates the Lord's Supper with his disciples, when he takes up a cup of wine, what does he say? He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has paid for your penalty of sins. Rahab, she is our example of this salvation tonight. God offers salvation for someone like Rahab. Are you like her? Are you an outsider? Are you unlikely? Are you obvious in your sins? Are you feeling like God could never love you? 
Repent and believe and enter into a glorious and permanent and unchanging covenant with God. God has offered salvation for someone like you. And friend, if you are a Christian here tonight, remember that your salvation is certain. It's certain. Maybe you're in a season where God is showing you your sins and you're feeling overwhelmed. Because of your sin, he, God must have changed his mind about you, right? You're going to get kicked out of the family of God. Or maybe you're in a season of darkness where God feels, he feels far away, uncaring for you or for what you're going through. Friends, the promise is still for you. God is still your God he has redeemed you. He will never stop caring for you or providing for you. He can't. It's impossible. His covenant to you through Jesus Christ, it's binding. He will never leave you or forsake you. In one of the final chapters of Joshua, Joshua himself speaks. I put this quote on the top of your outline. This is what Joshua says to the covenant people of Israel. You know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. The promises of God are for you if you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior. And those promises are certain. Tonight, we've walked through Joshua 2, the story of Rahab. In her story, we have seen glimpses of God's grace, that God keeps his promises to his people through an unlikely person. We've seen that God makes provision through Rahab and God makes provision for Rahab and God offers salvation for those like Rahab. Do you remember that question I asked you at the beginning of our time tonight? Do you believe that God is a promise-keeping God and that his promises are for you? God has provided for you through Christ and God has given you every promise through Christ. And God delights to give you, his beloved child, all things through Christ. Let me pray. God, thank you for Joshua chapter 2 and the story of Rahab. God, thank you for these glimpses of grace that we have seen through her story that you would use someone unlikely like Rahab to welcome in the spies and to have faith in the one true God, you, Lord. And God, thank you that this points us to Jesus, the chief unlikely of people. God, would we have confidence if we are in Jesus that we are your children and that the promises that you have declared are unchanging and are true. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.